Party Show every Thursday from 8 till 9 on Waiheke Radio, 88.3 and 107.4 FM. That's the Anything Arty Show, sponsored by the Artist Goldsmith Studio Connections on Eroa. Call in to see Christine's latest designs or phone 372-7809 to discuss a commission. Yes, indeed you are. You're listening to the Anything Artist Show Thursday night yet again. And uh, one more time, we've got an action-packed show this evening. So thanks again to the artist Goldsmith. Thanks, Trevor, for Folk Roots. And um, let's rip into the show. So there's lots happening on the island. Uh, once again, we're going to start with a story from the 2010 Adult Literacy Programme Words. And, uh, and a big thanks to Josephine for all the work that she's done with Adult Literacy and uh, getting this particular project, but many other projects for them off the ground. So um, congratulations, Josephine, for all you've done with the adult literacy. Good on you. And let's have a listen to the story this evening, which is called Guitar. Guitar, written by Shelley Clark. One day, a sexy man called Paul came to class. We're good mates. He brought in his electric guitar. I was drumming to Mamma Mia. I sang into the microphone and made popping noises like this. Boop. I used shakers. I danced to the Spice Girls. I had lots of fun. High five. This was Guitar, written by Shelley Clark and read by Zach McCracken. And we'll have another story from Words uh, Adult Literacy 2010 programme again next week. Now, uh, I mentioned just when we started, there's quite a bit happening on the island at the moment. So let's have a little look. There's, uh, photography seems to be the theme for a little while. Um, we've got three photographers who are uh, on display, as it were, exhibiting at uh, Toy Gallery. That's uh, Ocean View Road. So just at the back of where uh, Artis Goldsmith is in the Studio Connections here at 145 Ocean View Road, Toy Gallery. Um, Gary Bajant, Richard, Richard Collins and Clive Wilson are exhibiting under the uh, collective title of Three Photographers and some really interesting work there, so that's worth getting in and having a look at. Photography... Uh, <laughs> Let me start that one again, shall we? Photography uh, also is a theme at the Red Shed, that we heard about last week and also on Island Life last week we had Alison Brenner whose work is showing down there being interviewed by Emma uh, and a very interesting interview that was as well so you can see the work from Alice uh, and Brenner down at the Red Shed that starts I think that's this weekend actually uh, that kicks off so that'll be worth going to have a look at the community gallery uh, we still have three exhibits there we've talked about Earth Matters that's a national ceramic invitational exhibition that you can have a look at the preserve that's a celebration of Matariki that uh, comes to uh, an end this weekend July 4 I think is the official close of Matariki the end of the new year for Mari and uh, collections from a literal zone is still happening with Sue Pickernall and Helen Langley that's all happening at the community gallery um, as well and then just mentioning uh, with the um, end of the Matariki celebrations there is also a uh, family uh, hangy day. Uh, hangi, hangi. <laughs> I'm doing well tonight. A family, a family day hangy. Uh, let's put it that way. Oh, hangy, hangy, hangy. Um, Sunday, July three. That's at the Piritahi Marai from ten till four. 
It's uh, Gold Coin Koha. Everyone's welcome. And in amongst the activities for the day is a silent art auction that will be running. Um, so that's just where you... If you've never been to uh, done a silent auction, art auction type thing, it's uh, quite a fun thing to do. You just basically put how much you want to pay for something down on a bit of paper and, and see if anybody trumps you. Um, so you just keep wandering around putting figures down of those things you'd like to buy. So that's going to be at the Family Day Hangy. There's a silent art auction happening down there. Uh, and also I, I noticed on a, uh, a musical artistic note that we're getting Fiddler on the Roof coming to the island. Yahoo! And that's the Wahiki Choral Society going to be doing Fiddler on the Roof. And that's going to start on the 29th of July and run through to the 7th of August. So there'll be a lot more information about that coming up. But that's a, uh, a stunning musical. So I uh, look forward to seeing how they do that one, which will be great. Now, well, maybe two weeks ago, I uh, had a conversation with Susie Newborn before she headed off to Brazil to um, for the film festival for the uh, Rainbow Warriors of Waikiki Island. And you, if you've had a look through the local papers already this week, you'll have seen that that movie won its class at the uh, film festival over there, which is absolutely fantastic. So my understanding is that Susie's uh, wending her way home at the moment um, with this uh, heavy trophy in her in her carry-on baggage, uh, somehow getting it back to the island to let the rest of the uh, the, the the cast who are involved in that um, see this amazing trophy that's, that the movie's won. So congratulations on that one. Uh, safe travelling back, Susie. But I had mentioned it during that conversation um, that we also had a chat about her role as the. Uh, CEO of an organisation, New Zealand Women, uh, uh, sorry, Women in Film and RF in Film and TV New Zealand is the organisation. And I had mentioned that I would save the interview for a, uh, a later date, and this is now the later date. So I'm delighted to uh, let us have a listen to what Susie was saying about her role. I'm, I'm interested. Oh, now I should point out. Sorry, I'll start this again in a sec. Um, this was on that day when the uh, weather was a little bit. Um, Iffy, to say the least. So, uh, so you may well find, and it's only at the beginning that the quality is a bit dodgy. After that, it gets great. I'm, I'm interested in this organisation and, in fact, this role that you have. Why do we need this organisation in New Zealand? Well, it's not just in New Zealand. It's part of an international organisation that was started um, in New York in the late 70s, and was started actually in Wellington in New Zealand in 1990 two or three, and then um, uh, one, uh, uh, another branch sort of popped up in, in Auckland. And it's, um, it's really about, um, I'm, I'm going to put it rather crudely, it's about smashing the celluloid ceiling. And it's about giving equal opportunities to women in the screen industries um, because, um, like in, in, in other areas of life, they, they don't have equal opportunities. Right. Um, so we we tend to have far more men involved in this industry than women, and yet it is women, and in particular older women, who tend to make up most of the um, of the audience in the, in, the, in who go to the movies. Oh wow! Mm. And it's also about having strong female um, role models in film, not always having those very fabulously young and skinny and beautiful <laughs> women. Um, yeah. But it is about making sure that women in the screen industries and young women going into it will have e equal opportunities. And um, it's also about women changing the world one frame at a time because women do 
um, they do have the finger on the pulse of, the, of what's happening to the planet. They feel it because we birth the whole of the planet, so we tend to feel what's happening to the planet a bit more acutely, perhaps. Right. Because, um, you know, we are responsible and nurturers and, and so on. So uh, women tend to make films that have a... Um, almost like um, faith in action type movies um, oh of course they can make movies like The Hurt Locker as well yeah. but the movies that women tend to make usually have something to do with making things better and film is an incredibly powerful medium and uh, you can change policy and people's attitudes m more easily through film through showing the reality of how people live and saying, well, you know, would you like to live like this? Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's change things. I think you can do it better um, through film somehow. Well, it, it's interesting you say that. I was just looking recently at some, uh, at the um, Witness program mm -hmm. um, that Peter Gabriel is, is involved oh, in uh, and that whole principle of, of giving people video cameras to document um, the life, the environment around them where uh, um, human rights violations are occurring so, and, and I, I, it may not be just unique to hu the human rights situations but that was a context I was, I was seeing some of the information in and you're so right, I mean what you can see in a two minute uh, um, um, video um, it's far more pow powerful than a 24 page document oh, yeah. um, um, or a book written about it it's just a, an incredible uh, um, idea that, that he has and, and, uh, with that whole witness thing uh, so in terms of the power of the movie it, it's quite amazing they, um, the, the women in, in film and television New Zealand is they um, uh, I don't know is, is, if, if prejudice against w women in the industry is the right way of putting it but is it, is it blatant in New Zealand is it obvious Is it are, are we as bad as, as other countries or are we better than other countries in terms of looking after women in the industry or are we, are we just as bad well, not really bad because we we I mean last year the most the, you know New Zealand's biggest box office success ever was produced by a Maori woman, uh, which is Boy right. Gardner, and most of the films that were really popular last year New Zealand films had a woman either as a director or producer or both and perhaps even a writer. So we we do have a strong um, group of women in that role, less so for directors. Lots of women producers in New Zealand, okay. but not that many uh, cameramen, women, not that many editors, and so on. So as we get down to the more technical uh, roles, we find less and less. Right. Is that because it's a uh, what I would have called a union shop? It was kind of difficult to get into those industries uh, if you weren't a male, or is it just not of that much interest to women as opposed to say producing or writing or? I don't know. I mean, the, the Techos Guild have, have quite a few women there, uh, you know, grips and gaffers and what have you. It's, um, it's, I think it's some, sometimes it's something to do with lugging around all the equipment. <laughs> I mean, something as basic as that. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to have to be a DOP because it means I've got to carry all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it could be as, as, as basic as that. Although nowadays, I mean, we have interns. We've got 13 interns and... Um, for the first time, we have a camera woman uh, intern, and in her class, she is the only female at her film school. Right. Studying, studying, um, you know, how to become a DOP. Yeah. 
Yeah. In, interestingly enough, in the last year that um, there has been more of a sort of noise made about it, uh, although there always has been a bit of noise, but I think uh, with, you know, through tw tw uh, Twitter, which we use um, daily, and Facebook, have been putting, you know, the word out there. And when the, the New Zealand Film Commission had the review done by Peter Jackson uh, and the other guy in Australia whose name escapes me at the time, we all the guilds got together and 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 submitted a response, and our um, membership wanted to make sure that gender equity got got in there. So we are now sort of uh, putting a little bit of pressure on the film commission to come up with policies and so on that will, um, you know, guarantee equal opportunities for men in film. Right. It doesn't have to be fifty-fifty, but. Um, but this year, I have to say, in the past year, things in New Zealand have looked up in, um, quite dramatically. More women are, are, are chosen for, for different... There are different sort of funding rounds in the Film Commission, and more women's scripts are being chosen, and more, you know, more women teams are being coming together. So it is improving. The interesting statistic is that in America, it's much worse. And... In Iran, by contrast, it is much, much better. So in a country where there's incredible oppression of women, 25% of all filmmakers are women. Isn't that fascinating? And wow. in America, it's 7% or 8%. Right. I think wow. in New Zealand, it's more like 9 or 10%. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. We, yeah. We, uh, yeah. we believe that we think it is improving because... Um, the Film Commission, who are aware of the fact that this is a, an, an important issue and that our members, we are the largest membership group of its kind, because uh, we're also pan-guild, and we don't just re represent techos or represent uh, directors right. or writers. Everybody who belongs to the screen industries can join us, males included. Okay. Yeah. So I, as an organisation, it's open to all, but the, the, the focus is to make sure that there's yes. sort of more of an equal yes. um, representation or, or, yes. or acceptance. Um, in our mentoring programme, we have, I think at the moment, two or three male mentors. So you get people in the industry who want to be mentored right. by somebody else, and people in the industry who put their name forward to say, I will be a mentor. But, oh, fantastic. <clears throat> and some of those are men. So if, if people want to find out more about the organisation, Women in Film and Television New Zealand, um, how, what's the easiest way to find out some more about that, Susie? Well, the easiest way would be to go to our website, www.wiftnz.org.nz. Great. We're also on Facebook. All right. But if they just do the uh, uh, WIFT, even through a search, then they'll be able to... It'll come up. Yeah. Which will be good. All right, fantastic. Susie, look, thank you so much for all your time. I really appreciate this. I, I, I know that you must be in between sort of throwing stuff into a bag. and. No, don't do that. It's the last minute. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I put it all in one pile and then walk around and then just before I go, throw it into the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So um, I know you're off in a couple of days' time. Look, have a, have a safe travelling when you're away. Have a fantastic time at the festival and with family. And uh, look forward know. to catching up when you return and just hear about some yeah, of the adventures. It'll be fun to see Wahiki Island in the middle of Brazil. And wouldn't it just be amazing? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, so, and I know a lot of people are going to be asking questions about it because <clears throat> they are so landlocked. 
this state is about the size of Germany, and it's surrounded by other Brazilian states. <coughs> excuse me, miles away from sea or anything. Right. And there'll be these wonderful images, and possibly people there that have never even seen the sea. I mean, unless it's been on film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Superb. All right, Susie. Thank you so much. Safe travelling, and thank we'll catch you. up when you get back. Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to Waiheke Radio, 88.3 and 107.4 FM. Waiheke Radio presents albums that changed everything. Everyone has an album that changed their lives. Oh, this track, man, I love this track. Each week, we'll be taking a personal look at the albums that changed our lives. song on the best album. After I heard this album, I didn't listen to music in the same way ever again. If I was ever going to get a really big tattoo, that would be it. And suddenly, it was like the battle lines had been drawn, and I was on the side of the Smiths. I'd never heard anything like it before, and it changed everything. The albums that changed everything, Thursday nights at 9pm and 2pm on Sundays, here on Waiheke Radio. Indeed, and that one's coming up uh, just on nine o'clock. Yahoo! And uh, it's, it's always a surprise. Don't know what's playing tonight, but it's going to be great. So the albums that changed everything, nine o'clock. We've had the Smiths twice, and we've had the... Uh, who else did we have? We had the... We had the, we had the I can't remember the original one. What is the original one? Then they kicked it all off. Oh, no! It was Paul Weller. That's right. Yeah, 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 Paul Weller. And then we had the... Um, oh, we had the phenomenal... Uh, I'm looking at Darren, who's 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 stepped in for a moment. He's actually he's brought me gifts. He's brought me a, a giveaway ticket. Um, so listen up because I'm going to be giving away a ticket for two 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 two. There once was an island. I was talking about that movie last week, um, and I had thought Emma might have been able to have given the pass away over um, on um, Island Life. At the weekend, but the pass hadn't arrived. But I've got it in my in my little hand here. So at some point, I'll get you to somebody to ring three seven two seven one nine two, and you can win yourself a double pass to there once was an island. It's an absolute cracker movie. Um, but no, I'm sorry, I'm looking back at Darren again. This is a great radio. You um um techno techno electronic techno. What is it that that um what do you call it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Acid House and and then oh is it this Saturday doing Acid House? Ooh, there you go. I'm trying to get him back into his reggae dub, but he refuses to go there. Um, following month, that's going to be what August. All right, I'll be in for that. But there was but there's that um, techo techno stuff. I've lost all my street cred now dramatically. Anyway, we had that one as well, which was another one that um, uh, had been done, which was actually quite good. I enjoyed it but it's lost all its impetus because I can't remember what it was. I'm going to move on completely now. <laughs> I said last week that I had a um, a guy who was battering my ear about various things, art, and I was going to have a very special guest on. Um, I'm not going to be able to get him on for a couple of months, but he did put me on to something he was telling me about. It was an artist called Ai Weiwei, or Wai Wai. Um, it depends how you pronounce it. It's a, it's a Chinese pronunciation, but... Um, this this guy's just phenomenal in his art and he's also I guess classed as a dissident in China he's just been released in fact on the 22nd of this month he'd been um, held by the government for about 80 days 81 days arrested on charges apparently of um, ended up being tax evasion I think they hit him with um, but amongst other things he has done this piece of work 
Um, I'm going to play a, 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 an interview uh, uh, about his uh, release um, just coming up in, in a moment. But uh, one of the things that he did l- towards the end of last year was he did um, an installation at the Tate Modern in what's known as the Turbine Hall, which is, is uh, you can check this out on uh, YouTube. It's absolutely worth doing. You just put in AI space W-E-I-W-E-I. That's his name, I-Y-Y or Weiwei. Um, and if you put in uh, Tate Modern, it will come up. If you imagine a space about the size of a rugby field, you're getting roughly the idea of, of this space, enclosed space at the Tate. And uh, it's, a, it's a special exhibit area that they invite artists, uh, select artists to come and put installations in. And uh, his installation um, comprised of over 100 million sunflower seeds. But these, that's right, yeah, 100 million sunflower seeds. But these sunflower seeds weren't like just, you know, bringing in a couple of truckloads of sunflower seeds. These were made of porcelain and hand-painted. It took over 1,600 ceramic uh, makers two and a half years to make these and and hand-paint them. And then they just filled the space. Um, It's it's a phenomenal thing. Now, there's a reason why he picked sunflowers, a couple of reasons. One is that um, sunflowers from a political perspective because he, a lot of his art now is based at you know having a pot shot at the regime over there so uh, Chairman Mao used to be depicted as, as the sun that was kind of how he liked it and the and the Chinese people were depicted as sunflowers always turning towards him because he was the sort of omnipotent one the other significance about sunflower seeds uh, in China is that um, literally every household um, has some uh, they're a staple uh, a food product in China, and in many cases, they they uh, uh, effectively stop people from starving. Um, and they so they're, they're highly symbolic, uh, which was uh, two of the reasons why he chose these things. Um, and and the exhibition was just just a roaring success, and it really is worth having just having a look at YouTube on this thing. But one of the interesting things for me was uh, this earlier this year in February of this year, the first lot of some of his uh, uh, porcelain sunflower seeds were went to auction to be sold. Uh, they sold off 100 kilograms of these porcelain sunflower seeds, which is roughly 100,000 seeds, um, these porcelain seeds. And they sold for £349,000, um, which is about three times the expected amount um, that they would go. So it's, they, they worked it out at about £3.50 per seed. But I got my, my my pen and paper out, and I tried to do some mental maths uh, uh, aided by a pen and paper. So it was a combination of mental and physical maths. So somebody else can probably help me make sure I've got this right. But I worked it out that if it was a hundred, if it was um, three hundred forty-nine thousand pounds for a hundred thousand seeds, to get the hundred million was going to cost you about three hundred forty-nine million pounds. <laughs> if you fancied forking that out for an installation, the exchange rate, which is quite good at the moment, would mean you'd only pay six hundred and seventy-seven million. Not too bad. So um, we're going to just hear about uh, uh, Weiwei and his release. And again, this comes, uh, uh, I guess, off the back of uh, the artist um, Sharon Nishat, we listened to last week about what what it was like for an Iranian uh, artist living in exile. And almost uh, Weiwei is almost in exile in his own country. So it's a, a, a he's a fascinating guy. So anyway, let's have a listen to uh, what the world was saying when he was released recently. 
Artist Al Weiwei is back home after almost three months in detention. The authorities say Al Weiwei had been granted bail because of a good attitude in confessing his crimes, as well as chronic ill health. The artist has not been seen since his arrest in April on charges of tax evasion. His family said he was targeted because of his outspoken criticism of the authoritarian Chinese state. Our culture editor Matthew Kane has more. This is Ai Weiwei tonight, freed by the Chinese authorities after two and a half months. You can't talk? You're not allowed to talk? I'm on probation, sir. And what about uh, the police saying that you admitted no, your crimes? I, I cannot talk. I'm so sorry. Okay. Please understand. Thank you so much. The surprise announcement came via the Beijing Police Department. Ai Weiwei had been released on bail after apparently confessing to the crime of tax evasion. His family reported that he's in good health. Around the world, his supporters greeted the news with relief. I think what's notable is the fantastic outpouring of support that's come clearly from artists and from the cultural world, but I think also from a much, much wider constituency. Um, Ai Weiwei seems to have touched a chord. With his design of the Bird's Nest Stadium for the Beijing Olympics and his installation of a hundred million sunflower seeds in Tate Modern, Ai Weiwei is an artist who captured the public's imagination. But he also became famous for his outspoken criticism of the Chinese government. This made during an appearance on Channel 4 News. After 60 years being in power, they still forbidden people to have a freedom of speech. And they still jail people who has uh, uh, different thinking and different uh, opinions. And uh, people are still disappearing under this, uh, this government. It was on the 3rd of April that Ai Weiwei himself disappeared. He was seized by Chinese officials at Beijing airport while catching a plane to Hong Kong. After weeks without the release of any information, he was officially charged with tax evasion. But his supporters worried that he was actually being punished for his outspoken opinions. Ai Weiwei is amongst the most brave artists alive today. He's made it clear that he wants the freedom that he has exercised as an artist to be everyone's freedom. And he sees art as an instrument for making that happen. During his absence, Ai Weiwei's supporters continued to use his art to protest against his incarceration. This exhibition of animal heads based on the Chinese zodiac opened last month in the courtyard of Somerset House, as did this retrospective of his work at Listen Gallery in London. But still no information as to his well-being or whereabouts was released by the Chinese authorities, until now. Today, they've said that Ai Weiwei has been released for good behaviour. As he's never been well behaved in the past, this might raise suspicions amongst his family, friends and supporters. But for now at least, there's relief that he's finally been freed. Yeah, so there you go. Um, go check that out on uh, YouTube, as I said, put an AI space W-E-I-W-E-I. That's Ai Weiwei or YY. And uh, you can check out not only his installation at... Um, Tate of sunflowers. All you need to do is put in, I guess, sunflowers Tate, and it will come up anyway. Um, but just some other interesting stuff about the guy is really interesting. I just like that bit at the end, given that he hasn't really behaved himself in the past, being released on good behaviours. <laughs> An interesting one in itself. However, I suppose if you've been wrapped across the knuckles in, in China, you take it a bit seriously. Now, uh, I mentioned that um, Darren had dropped in a uh, pass for us. So listen. 
Uh, we're going to do, uh, again, surprise, just amazed, stunned at the number of responses and people... Uh, commenting on doing the uh, the movie quiz again so we'll do the movie quiz again coming up so whilst we're doing the movie quiz uh, anytime that you don't hear me talking give us a call on 372-7192 372-7192 if you'd like to win a double pass um, for the movie there once was an island and we mentioned this uh, story last week uh, it is absolutely a gem of a movie um, to go and have a look at in terms of a an island uh, and a community on that island uh, getting to grips with the realities of uh, rising floodwaters, uh, environmental impacts, and what that actually means for them currently and for their future, it's a uh, it's a stunning piece of uh, film to have a look at. Um, you don't have to do anything other than just phone for it. So how good is that? Now. The uh, movie quiz time, right, so three movies, these are all movies that are playing uh, either currently or starting to play as of tonight or tomorrow night on the island, Uh, one's about a guy who breaks up relationships, one's about a circus, and one's about cars, see see how long it takes you to guess which is which from these trailers, which trailer belongs to which movie, how quickly can you get these? If your daughter can't admit she's with the wrong guy, it's time to hire... The Heartbreaker. Meet Alex. Je suis briseur de couple professionnel. He's charming. He's smooth. And when it comes to breaking up bad relationships, he's the best. Merci, Pierre. Merci, Cesario. Arigato. Daniel. Voici Juliette van der Beek. Lui, c'est son petit ami. Tu as 10 jours pour mettre fin à leur relation. Pour plus de temps. Impossible. Parce que dans 10 jours, il se marie. Now. He'll follow her every step. Watch her every move. And find out everything about her. Elle a plus de sensibilité à l'épaule droite. Je me suis fait renverser par une moto il y a 10 ans. Rien de grave, mais j'ai perdu toute sensibilité à la cuisse droite. C'est pas possible, j'ai la même chose à l'épaule. Ça veut dire que si je vous plante une fourchette dans la cuisse, vous sentez rien ah Rien du tout. From IFC Films. Elle est fan de George Michael. Elle connaît par cœur Dirty Dancing. Je même vous le dire, c'est un de mes films préférés. Je voyais plutôt film d'auteur. Moi, je voyais plutôt film d'action. A week before committing to a man for life, it's only natural to have some moments of doubt. This summer. Je crois que je vais me taper ce soir. Pas si ça me dérange pas. Donc quoi ça me dérangerait? When the ultimate professional breaks his only rule. Je me sens bien avec vous. Moi aussi. Business. Gets personal. Ça fait une éternité que je me suis pas senti autant vivant. J'aurais pas pu revenir comme dans mon vie. Gentlemen! 
Dracula Show Alert! Excuse me, sir, can we help you? You know circuses? 1931. It was the Benzini Brothers. That's the most famous circus disaster of all time. Are you telling me that you were there for... Right in the middle of it. I don't know if I picked that circus. But something told me that circus picked me. run on tricks everyone plays you're a beautiful woman deserve a beautiful life Two unlikely friends became the heroes of Radiator Springs. But on their next big road trip, they're not only racing across the world. Wish me luck. You go get it, buddy. Welcome to the inaugural running of the World Grand Prix. They're racing to save the world. No one can stop us. Finn Mac Missile, British Intelligence. So mighty. Average intelligence. Listen, th- this isn't Radiator Springs. These Americans are clearly master spies. Oh, you've got to be joking. Go, McQueen! Informator. Come on, approach. Roger that. There he is. He's down the way. Hang on. Cars 2. Good job! Hi, lady! You're listening to Waiheke Radio. 88.3 and 107.4 FM. Indeed you are, and you're listening to the Anything Artist Show here on Thursday evening, uh, or if you're uh, listening to the replay, then it'll be Sunday afternoon, gloriously Sunday afternoon, because the show goes out again between 1 and 2 Sunday afternoon, and of course you listen, you can listen to it again anytime at www.yhikiradio.org.nz, where we'll also have the podcasts up as well um, as of tomorrow morning. Now, did you guess him? Did you guess him? Did you? Ha, 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 ha. Well, the uh, first one we heard was, of course, the guy who's employed to break up uh, relationships. That's Heartbreaker currently playing. Let me just see when that's on again. I think it was on tonight. No, what are we on? 29th. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, look after saying that oh yes it is next Tuesday 5 o'clock next Tuesday Um, and in fact that's the last showing of Heartbreaker if you want to see that then we heard from Water for Elephants 
and that's the uh, the movie of the book, the movie of the film, of the book, of the play, of the uh, stage production, um, and that's on tomorrow evening, seven thirty. That's actually going out as a fundraiser because that's the first showing tomorrow evening. That's going out as a fundraiser. I'm not sure who it's raising funds for, though. Um, unfortunately, does it tell me in here? Uh, no. Anyway, uh, but if you fancy raising funds for somebody, then you can pay twenty dollars uh, tomorrow evening to be the first in to see Water for Elephants. Um, and then the third one we heard from was Cars 2 and that's a new one uh, on the island for us and that's showing first showing of that is Friday 1st of July at 3pm um, that's a PG that one uh, Water for Elephants is an M I was going to say medium <laughs> I'm thinking clothing again no M is uh, what's an M M is uh, mature audience is 16 and over and our um, Heartbreaker is an M as well now the other movies that are playing currently uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides Hoodwinked 2 that's uh, a T-double-O Hoodwinked 2 um, Inside Job and we talked about uh, Inside Job before that was um, The Bankers with a B yes uh, and all that kind of stuff and, and the financial crash the GFC as it became known Unbelievable global financial crisis. Dun dun dun. Um, so that's playing there. French Club on Monday. We've got Mozart's sister. That's at seven thirty. Uh, Tuesday, Doco on the fifth is there. Once was an island for which I still have the double pass to give away. So probably when we get into our fifth uh, episode of the Great Gatsby which will be coming up uh, in a few moments. When that's playing, that's going to be your last chance this evening to win this double pass for There Once Was an Island. Um, and that's uh, you can uh, get to see that whenever it was I said that was on. When did I say that was on? Tuesday the 5th at 7.30. Double pass to give away. You need to phone me on 372-7192-372-7192. Um, and we'll do that. Where I'll let you know when that's going to happen, but that will be when The Great Gatsby, our episode 5 of our serialization, uh, serialization is on in a few minutes um, so that's what's on at the movies right now that had reminded me of something else but I can't remember what it was uh, um, has it come back to me no not really ok uh, now Barry Pilton some of you may know of Barry Pilton he's an author and uh, as sometimes authors do, they write, uh, at some point, they write some um, stories about their life and their adventures as they've uh, been growing up and going into the jobs that they do. And uh, <laughs> uh, Barry Pilton had a, had a series of, um, I'm not sure how you describe them, but uh, a series of his life incidents um, recorded. And they came out in a series called In a Nutshell. And they were uh, narrated by Leonard uh, Rossiter uh, from Rising Damp fame. And uh, uh, I didn't get where I am today, Reggie, by... What was that? Uh, oh, The Fallen Rise, The Rise of Fall, Original Pair, and, and, and amongst other things. Uh, and he's, uh, his narration style is absolutely gorgeous. So I've got a chance just to have a little bit of a listen to one of the stories uh, of uh, what was happening for author Barry Pilton as, uh, when he uh, went to start a life of being a journalist. My moment came when I was a journalist on a popular Scottish paper, The Sunday Post, and it gradually dawned on me that a paralytic horror of interviewing people was probably a handicap. Now, that wasn't the only problem, though. My idea of pioneering journalism didn't include telephoning Mrs Yule Brunner to ask how she liked being married to a man who was bald. 
The paper's policy was to identify with the man in the street, and unfortunately, our man in the street seemed to have escaped from some sort of asylum. Not that we were a bum and tits paper, indeed we weren't even a posterior and mammary glands paper. Our editorial board of dour Calvinist Scots saw to that. Our one contribution to the sexual revolution of the 60s was a medical article on the menopause, which wasn't even mentioned by name. The closest, most daring reference to it was nature throwing a spanner in the works of life. But I tried to soldier on. The days of specialist reporting and bylines were still 200 years away. So, on different weeks, depending who drew the short straw, I was the motoring expert, though I didn't own a car. The economics expert, though they kept correcting my expense claims. The political expert, though I didn't agree with their move to bring back John Knox. Priscilla on the women's page, although I knew nothing of the fashionable whalebone corset now sweeping through Oban, and the pseudonymous writer of readers' letters, though I didn't even read the paper. Life grew ever more painful. Assignments grew ever more difficult. I'd ring up important men of affairs to ask about their favourite vegetables, and they'd cry, get stuffed. Good point, I say, good point, good point, and ring off. However, even in the wonderfully creative world of journalism, there are only so many excuses available. There was a limit to how often I could persuade my sub-editor that my contact had been struck by lightning on his way to the phone. And the crunch finally came when I had to interview one of the world's richest men, the Sheikh of Abu Dhabi, a man powerful enough to have me struck by lightning. The sub-editor carefully supplied me with a list of questions, and I made my way to my appointment in the Sheikh's suite at the Dorchester. Uh, incidentally, the Dorchester is the only hotel where even lift operators have a training course in Fowler's correct usage of the English language. They say to which floor do you wish to go, just so that cultivated clientele don't rush off to the Savoy, traumatised by the sound of a preposition at the end of a sentence. Uh, anyway, when I got out of the lift, I found it wasn't to be an interview at all, but a small press conference with all the informality of a medium-sized coronation. I tried to position myself unobtrusively, invisibly, I hoped, behind a potted palm. The conference began with a complex question on the economic prospects of Abu Dhabi. The Sheikh said, which his interpreter translated as, The Sheikh believes there are five main points to be considered here first, and spent several minutes listing them. It was then that I noticed the question came from the Investor's Chronicle, considerably more upmarket than my paper. The next question was from the Times Business News section, and concerned the financing of Deep Sea Docks, followed by the Telegraph Finance Editor, who wanted to know something very complicated about exchange rates, the Economist magazine was interested in annual growth, and then it was my turn. I unfolded my sub-editor's list of questions, and number one read, how many wives have you got in your harem? I smiled weakly and passed. The Investors Chronicle then wanted to know about foreign investment. The Times was concerned about the percentage increase in tourist revenue. The Telegraph asked about the projected inflation rate. The Economist, balance of payments. And then... <clears throat> my turn again. And question number two read, Where do you get your eunuchs from? And I smiled even more weakly and passed again. The conference continued. Trade treaties, international relations, export potential, oil development, dangerous Soviet expansion, employment shortages, and then... 
Don't you find it very hot living in the desert? Pass. Back in the office, I explained to the sub-editor how I had missed the conference by accidentally catching the wrong bus. And something in his expression and the piece of paper he handed me later that day made me feel he shared my belief and that I was not altogether cut out for the work I was doing. So there we go. Yeah, look, you look I, exactly. Darren's just about won this ticket again. He came back in to see if he'd won. So you better get on the phone quick. 372-7192 if you want to win this double pass. Otherwise, it's, it's gone. 372-7192. Double pass coming up for There Once Was an Island. So when we get into The Great Gatsby, uh, episode five of our serialization coming up, um, then you can grab that. Now, <laughs> Isn't that great with Barry Pilton? Leonard Rossiter's got such a lovely narration style. It's brilliant. Very, very entertaining. Very artful, um, which is one of the reasons why we're doing The Great Gatsby, as I was mentioning when we first started it um, five weeks ago now, six weeks ago, I think it was, um, that they, as, as an art form, writing can be just absolutely magnificent. And again, particularly for radio, uh, I really enjoy uh, well-narrated stories uh, when you can just kind of surrender yourself to the wireless set, which is just fantastic. Um, I, I just love it. So we're going to finish off with The Great Gatsby um, coming up. Thanks to uh, David and Christian again from the Artist Goldsmith for sponsoring the show. You'll find them at Studio Connections in uh, Ocean View Road on Eroa, and it's absolutely worth going and having a look at the creations that are there from Christine. Her work is absolutely stunning. Uh, thanks to Susie again for the uh, conversation about women in film and TV that will be one of the podcasts going up the podcast of the show will be going up uh, later on tonight www.yhikiradio.org.nz you can listen again on Sunday between 1 and 2 in the afternoon a lovely way to spend an hour on a Sunday and coming up uh, after the Great Gatsby tonight 9 o'clock is albums that changed everything so again looking forward to a ripper show there so thanks for tuning in tonight and uh, we shall catch up with you again next week One October day in 1917, said Jordan Baker, sitting up very straight in the tea garden at the Plaza Hotel, I was walking along from one place to another, half on the sidewalks and half on the lawns. The largest of the lawns belonged to Daisy Fay's house. She was just 18, two years older than me, and by far the most popular of all the young girls in Louisville. That morning her white roadster was beside the curb, and she was sitting in it with a lieutenant I'd never seen before. They were so engrossed in each other that she didn't see me until I was five feet away. Hello, Jordan, she called. Please come here. She asked me if I was going to the Red Cross to make bandages. I was. Well, then, would I tell them that she couldn't come that day? The officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at sometime. His name was Jay Gatsby. Daisy had a debut after the armistice, and in June she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago, with more pomp and circumstance than Louisville ever knew before. He came down with a hundred people in four private cars and hired a whole floor of the Mulbach Hotel, and the day before the wedding he gave her a string of pearls valued at $350,000. I was a bridesmaid. I came into her room half an hour before the bridal dinner and found her lying on her bed as drunk as a monkey. 
She had a bottle of Sauterne in one hand and a letter in the other. Here, dearish. She groped around in a wastebasket she had with her on the bed and pulled out the string of pearls. Take them downstairs and give them back to whoever they belong to. Tell them all Daisy's changed her mind. She began to cry. She cried and cried. I rushed out and found her mother's maid, and we locked the door and got her into a cold bath. But she wouldn't let go of the letter. She took it into the tub with her and squeezed it up in a wet ball until it came to pieces. She didn't say another word. We gave her spirits of ammonia and put ice on her forehead and hooked her back into the dress. And half an hour later, when we walked out of the room, the pearls were around her neck and the incident was over. Next day at five o'clock, she married Tom Buchanan and started off on a three-month trip to the South Seas. I saw them in Santa Barbara when they came back, and I thought I'd never seen a girl so mad about her husband. It was touching to see them together. A week after I left Santa Barbara, Tom ran into a wagon on the Ventura Road one night. The girl who was with him got into the papers too because her arm was broken. She was one of the chambermaids in the Santa Barbara hotel. The next April, Daisy had her little girl, and they went to France for a year. Then they came back to Chicago to settle down. Well, about six weeks ago, she heard the name Gatsby for the first time in years. It was when I asked you, do you remember, if you knew Gatsby in West Egg? After you'd gone home, she came into my room and said, "What Gatsby?" When I described him, she said in the strangest voice that it must be the man she used to know. It wasn't until then that I connected this Gatsby with the officer in her white car. When Jordan Baker had finished telling all this, we were driving in a Victoria through Central Park. It was a strange coincidence, I said. It wasn't a coincidence at all. Gatsby bought that house so that Daisy would be just across the bay. Then it hadn't been merely the stars to which he'd aspired on that June night. He came alive to me. Delivered suddenly from the womb of his purposeless splendor, he wants to know," continued Jordan, "if you'll invite Daisy to your house some afternoon and then let him come over." The modesty of the demand shook me. He had waited five years and bought a mansion where he dispensed starlight to casual moths, so that he could come over some afternoon to a stranger's garden. I think he half expected her to wander into one of his parties some night, but she never did. It was dark now, and as we dipped under a little bridge, I put my arm around Jordan's golden shoulder and drew her toward me and asked her to dinner. Suddenly, I wasn't thinking of Daisy and Gatsby any more, but of this clean, hard, limited person who dealt in universal skepticism. Does she want to see Gatsby? I said. She's not to know about it. You're just supposed to invite her to tea. We passed a barrier of dark trees, and I drew up the girl beside me. Her wan, scornful mouth smiled, so I drew her up again closer, this time to my face. When I came home to West Egg that night, I was afraid for a moment that my house was on fire. Two o'clock, and the whole corner of the peninsula was blazing with light. Turning a corner, I saw it was Gatsby's house, lit from tower to cellar. At first, I thought it was another party, but there wasn't a sound. As my taxi groaned away, I saw Gatsby walking across his lawn, 
looking at me with suppressed eagerness. I talked with Miss Baker, I said after a moment. I'm going to call up Daisy tomorrow and invite her over here to tea. Oh, that's all right, he said. I don't want to put you to any trouble. How about the day after tomorrow? He considered for a moment. I want to get the grass cut. We both looked down at the grass. There was a sharp line where my ragged lawn ended and the darker, well-kept expanse of his began. I suspected that he meant my grass. I called up Daisy from the office next morning and invited her to come to tea. Don't bring Tom, I warned her. Who's Tom? she asked. The day agreed upon was pouring rain. At eleven o'clock, a man in a raincoat, dragging a lawnmower, tapped at my front door and said that Mr. Gatsby had sent him over to cut my grass. At two o'clock, a greenhouse of flowers arrived from Gatsby's, with innumerable receptacles to contain it. An hour later, the front door opened nervously, and Gatsby, in a white flannel suit, silver shirt, and gold-colored tie, hurried in. He was pale, and there were dark signs of sleeplessness beneath his eyes. "'Is everything all right?' he asked. "'Have you got everything you need in the shape of... of tea?' I took him into the pantry, where he looked a little reproachfully at the fin I'd recruited from West Egg Village. Together we scrutinized the twelve lemon cakes from the delicatessen shop. "'Will they do?' I asked. "'Of course, of course, they're fine.' "'Old sport.' The rain cooled about half-past three to a damp mist. At two minutes to four there was the sound of a motor turning into my lane. We both jumped up and I went out into the yard. Under the dripping bare lilac trees, a large open car was coming up the drive. It stopped. Daisy's face, tipped sideways beneath a three-cornered lavender hat, looked out at me with an ecstatic smile. Is this absolutely where you live, my dearest one? Her hand was wet with glistening drops as I took it to help her from the car. Are you in love with me? she said low in my ear. Or why did I have to come alone? That's the secret of Castle Rackrent. We went in. To my overwhelming surprise, the living room was deserted. She turned her head as there was a light, dignified knocking at the front door. I went out and opened it. Gatsby, pale as death, with his hands plunged like weights in his coat pockets, was standing in a puddle of water glaring tragically into my eyes. He stalked by me into the hall, turned sharply as if he were on a wire, and disappeared into the living room. For half a minute there wasn't a sound. Then I heard a sort of choking murmur and part of a laugh, followed by Daisy's voice. I certainly am awfully glad to see you again. A pause. It endured horribly. I had nothing to do in the hall, so I went in. Gatsby, his hands still in his pockets, was reclining against the mantelpiece in a strained counterfeit of perfect ease. His head leaned so far back that it rested against the face of a defunct mantelpiece clock, and from this position his distraught eyes stared down at Daisy, who was sitting frightened but graceful on the edge of a stiff chair. "'We've met before,' muttered Gatsby. "'We haven't met for many years,' said Daisy. Five years next November.' 
The Finn brought tea in on a tray. Amid the welcome confusion of cups and cakes, a certain physical decency established itself. However, as calmness wasn't an end in itself, I made an excuse at the first possible moment and got to my feet. Where are you going? demanded Gatsby. I'll be back. I walked out the back way and ran for a huge black knotted tree whose massed leaves made a fabric against the rain. After half an hour, the sun shone again and I went in. After making every possible noise in the kitchen, short of pushing over the stove, but I don't believe they heard a sound. They were sitting at either end of the couch, looking at each other as if some question had been asked or was in the air, and every vestige of embarrassment was gone. Daisy's face was smeared with tears, and when I came in, she jumped up and began wiping at it with her handkerchief before a mirror. But Gatsby literally glowed. Without a word or a gesture of exultation, a new well being radiated from him. Oh, hello, old sport. I want you and Daisy to come over to my house. I'd like to show her around. Daisy went upstairs to wash her face while Gatsby and I waited on the lawn until she came out, the two rows of brass buttons on her dress gleaming in the sunlight. That huge place there, she cried, pointing. Do you like it? I love it, but I don't see how you live there all alone. I keep it always full of interesting people, night and day. People who do interesting things, celebrated people. Inside, as we wandered through Marie Antoinette music rooms and restoration salons, I felt that there were guests concealed behind every couch and table, under orders to be breathlessly silent until we'd passed through. We went upstairs through period bedrooms swathed in rose and lavender silk, through dressing rooms and pool rooms and bathrooms with sunken baths. Finally, we came to Gatsby's own apartment. His bedroom was the simplest room of all, except where the dresser was garnished with a toilet set of pure, dull gold. Daisy took the brush with delight and smoothed her hair, whereupon Gatsby began to laugh. He was consumed with wonder at her presence. He'd been full of the idea so long, now, in the reaction, he was running down like an overwound clock. Recovering himself, he opened for us two hulking cabinets which held his mast suits and dressing gowns and ties, and his shirts stacked like bricks a dozen high. He took out a pile and began throwing them one by one before us. Shirts of sheer linen and thick silk and fine flannel. Which lost their folds as they fell and covered the table in many color disarray. While we admired, he brought more, and the soft, rich heap mounted higher. Suddenly, Daisy bent her head into the shirts and began to cry. They're such beautiful shirts! I've never seen such beautiful shirts before! As I watched him, his hand took hold of hers. They had forgotten me. I went out of the room and down the marble steps into the rain, leaving them there together. The Waiheke Radio Saturday Night Specials presents The Jabsco Sessions, hosted by me, Jabsco Sounds. Every first Saturday of the month from 8 till 10, I'll be playing you the very best in Jamaican roots reggae and dub. Along with 80s hip hop electro.